0: This is the Lightning Round Podcast, with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle.
1: Go Chargers, go!
0: This is the Lightning Round Podcast. For those of you who couldn't find the show last week, welcome back. We did not go anywhere. I am Garrett Sisti, at Sisti on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Lightning underscore Round, with Jamie there. We have some things to say about this first matchup for the Battle of L.A., but... We have a pair of donations we want to recognize right now.
1: So big shout-out, big thank you to William Boydston and Preston Walker for your very generous donations. We really appreciate it. You guys are helping the beer fund going. And uh, based on Sunday's game, I think we're going to need it. So thank you very much for for keeping that going. And uh, we, like we always say, we appreciate everybody who supports us, whether it's by listening, interacting on the app, interacting on Twitter, rating us on iTunes, whatever the case may be. Thank you all for supporting the show. And, of course, we appreciate those who donate just a little bit more.
0: Thank you, William. Thank you, Preston. And we got a couple questions before we talk about this game and some headlines that we want to talk about on this podcast. So we will go to the first question. as from a caller, Craig. Hey, fellas. It's Craig Smith, uh, Austin, Texas native, Louisiana born and raised. Giving you guys a
1: buzz. Just kind of wanted to get your input on What's going on with Austin Eckler, man? Um, every time he touches the ball, it's basically an explosive play and at least a positive one. But um seems like Wiz can't get him on the field uh, as much as he ought to be there. And also, man, defensively, I don't know what we're going to do without Bosa. Uh, I guess, you know, just have to find a way to manufacture pressure one way or another. I uh, feel like there should be a little bit more emphasis on uh, getting Nuoso involved and uh, you know Derwin can only do so much especially when we're playing a lot of speed at receiver he's got to be you know in the middle of the field or at least you know deep can't uh, sacrifice coverage to blitz him 70% of the time so um, again guys just interested to see what you think on both accounts Uh, you know thanks for everything you do and go Bolts. So Craig in terms of the Eckler usage uh, I agree it seems like every time he touches the ball he's gaining 10 plus yards and I also agree he should be getting more touches. I've seen some people saying he should be RB1, and I don't know that I'd go that far because I think there is some advantage to balancing out the carries and having he and Gordon you know, get a reasonable amount of touches uh, because of the things that they do to complement each other. But I would like to see Eckler get more carries. I'd certainly like to see him get more, uh, more targets. I mean, I think he had three targets on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, for the second week in a row. Uh, he, you would have thought going into that game that he would have been a big part of the passing game with the way that the, the Rams' defense really struggled to cover the middle of the field in their first two games. But we really didn't see that. He had the one catch for 30 yards, I think it was, in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, on the Chargers' last scoring drive. And other than that, he was pretty quiet as a receiver. So I, I, do, I would like to see them get him more involved. If I'm not mistaken, he had eighteen snaps to Gordon's forty snaps against against the uh against the Rams, uh, which is a disparity that should not be happening for sure. So uh Wiz certainly needs to find a way to get him on the field. They need to find a way to get him the ball on space and and get him the ball quickly and let him make plays and make people miss. So absolutely agree with that. There's no reason that he should only be getting eighteen snaps and that they should be waiting until the fourth quarter to get him his the majority of his touches. In terms of the pass rush, I mean, obviously, Bose is the man. He's the one that drives the pass rush. His presence also makes the secondary look unstoppable at times. With him gone, they're going to have to work hard to find other options. You know, we we saw it in the first two weeks with them blitzing Derwin James quite a bit. They they needed him on the back end more against the Rams because of all the speed that the Rams have at wide receiver. Uh, hopefully they'll have an opportunity to bring him down in the box and blitz him a little bit more against a pretty bad San Francisco team, which will be playing without Jimmy Garoppolo this week. And aside from that, you know, we, I think we need to see more of Landrum rushing the passer. I think we need to see more of Uchenna Nwosu. He got 19 snaps this week, not nearly enough considering the problems they're having getting to the pass rusher and if the matchup allows for it, I don't. I don't think this particular matchup allowed for a whole lot of it. They need to manufacture it with the blitz as well. They need to get creative, start sending guys off the edge, start sending guys from the slot, really attacking those A gaps. We haven't really seen them attack the A gaps as much as they have. They did it at times last year. So, they need to get all that stuff going and they need to find a way to get to the quarterback and affect the quarterback because they are not doing that right now.
0: Yeah. So, for the second part, first, as far as the pass rush goes, they, yeah, they're going to have to find another ways to get pressure. You know, uh, you mentioned it. Dermway James had to cover a lot in week three against those Rams receivers. So, he didn't get in as many blitz attempts, but Isaac Rochelle and Chris Langham are just not getting it done at all. There is nobody outside of Melvin Ingram who's struggling too that's getting any sort of pressure at all. We saw some from Nwosu in week two, but man, they've got to find other ways to get other guys involved. Now, in terms of Austin Eckler, this is something I was going to bring up later on when we're talking about storylines, but yeah, they should definitely get him more involved. The thing that I'm concerned with is uh, last week, you know, a reporter was talking to Lynn and asking him, you know, since Joe Barkstall's out this week, have you thought about. Flipping Michael Schofield out to right tackle and maybe putting Lamp in at guard. And he basically said, Sam is our swing tackle, so he's going to replace Joe Barksdale. And it was almost like he didn't even entertain the idea. And then last week, somebody asked, hey, look, Austin Eckler's looked great so far. Are you going to work some more snaps in for him? And he said, he's our backup running back for a reason. And that's how they're treating Eckler, like he's a backup And if a guy can help, let him help. Don't give him a role and stick with it because you've labeled him a backup. Let players help your team. Just let him play. He ripped off that 32-yard run in the fourth quarter. No, it was 11 minutes left in the third quarter. And after that, they gave him two carries. The second one ended up going for 10 yards. But Melvin Gordon got six carries after Eckler had the longest run of the day on either side of the ball. So Eckler gets something a ball, the biggest chunk play of the day on the ground, and they don't get him more involved. So that that's that has got to change.
1: Yeah, and they waited until fourth down desperation to try to get him try to get him open in space as a wide receiver on that uh on their last drive of the game where they could have certainly used him out in the flats trying to move the ball, you know, watching those last two play calls of that last drive, it seemed to me that they kind of called those plays in reverse. They really should have gotten Mike Williams going on the slant on fourth down, on fourth and five, give him a chance to pick up five yards after a short catch. Maybe see if you can get Eckler the ball in space on third down instead of on fourth down and give him a chance to make somebody miss and pick up a few extra yards. But they, they got those plays reversed. They threw the ball to Eckler in traffic on, on uh fourth and five and just really didn't give him a chance. He had to try to make about five guys miss right in the middle of the field. They had him hemmed in, Nowhere to go. So really no creativity, no vision, really no sense of moving pieces around and creating matchups. Just, all right, let's get Eckler on the field. All right, let's throw him the ball on fourth down, see if he can make everybody on the Rams defense miss. And of course it didn't work.
0: Yeah, which I'm sure we're going to get to in a little bit, but uh, we got another question here.
1: Uh, This question is from Ben Brown. And Ben says, Hey guys, huge fan of the show and current Texas Tech University student here. Last season, the Chargers were able to lean on their secondary and hope the teams wouldn't beat them by running the ball, which was fairly effective for the majority of the season. This year, however, every DB except Derwin seems to get torched almost every play. What gives? I figured with the upgrades of Kaiser White and Duran James, the opposing passing attacks would be stifled even more. Is this a regression of Hayward, Williams, and King? Are they missing Trey Boston that much? Or is Joey Bosa just that good?
0: Well, first off, Ben, they're not missing Trey Boston at all. Nobody misses Trey Boston. Don't worry about Trey Boston. In fact, don't even bring up his name anymore. Second, yeah, Joy Bosa is definitely that good. He makes that defense work. You see it. Melvin Ingram does not look like a pass rusher on the field without Joy Bosa. He does not even look any good. So, yes, he's that good. And we're kind of seeing a little come down to Casey Hayward and Trevor Williams so far. But – you know, in all fairness, you can't really ask your corners to cover as long as they had to on Sunday. Derwin James made this secondary a lot better, but Jalila Dye is back on his bullshit, man. Tackling in his prime 2016 Jalila die form.
1: Yeah, uh, so first of all, I agree with Garrett. Obviously, yes, Joey Bosa is that good. He is the engine that drives the whole machine, certainly. When he's there, everybody around him gets better. That much is obvious. Uh, I don't know that we're necessarily seeing a regression of Hayward, Williams, and King. I think we've seen a a regression of the scheme and the play calling on defense for sure. I think we've seen uh, Gus really lean on very soft zone-heavy schemes, particularly in weeks one and three. They're not really challenging wide receivers. They're not really allowing their corners to cover. They're giving 7, 10, 12-yard cushions and then backing off as receivers come down the field. Uh, it just seems like they don't trust these guys to run with some of the faster receivers. Uh, they are also, because they're so zone heavy, particularly at the second level, they're just leaving gaping holes where the linebackers are supposed to be covering people. Teams are moving the linebackers, manipulating them, throwing over them, throwing between them. And just finding the holes. Uh, Jared Goff made some really good throws into some really tight windows on Sunday where he just they knew where there were going to be holes in the zone at all levels of the defense, and they found them whenever they needed to. So I think the play calling needs to get better. I think they really need to let the corners play instead of trying to protect them with these massive cushions. Uh, they need to stop letting fast receivers run free in the middle of the defense. That's a big problem. And obviously, with no pass rush to speak of whatsoever, unless Derwin James is blitzing, uh, they, they're just giving opposing quarterbacks way too much time to sit in the pocket, find somebody, wait for somebody to get open and make a good throw. And it's happening regularly because they're getting four or five, six seconds to sit back there and wait for somebody to get open. And you just can't survive that way in the NFL.
0: So the next question is from Marcus Tarigia and he asks, Please help me understand the latest move of Justin Jackson for Dietrich Newsom. Why give up on Newsom after three games? So if you didn't hear, the team recently promoted the running back Justin Jackson, and they cut Dietrich Newsom. Yeah,
1: I, I saw some anger about this move uh, you know, on Twitter and other social media platforms today, and I get it fans got attached to Newsom. They like watching him catch passes and, and make big plays, but you know, at the end of the day he's a third running back and I always kind of felt like he was play keeping uh keeping Justin Jackson's spot on the roster warm. You know, they they invested a draft pick in in Jackson. They kept him on the on the original 52 53 in the interest of sneaking him onto the practice squad. Uh, they've been waiting for him to be ready to come up to the roster. So in their estimation, he is better than Newsom. I think there's probably a pretty good chance Newsom will clear waivers and they can put him on the practice squad, so they probably will not lose him. I don't feel like he's somebody teams are just going to be clamoring for and racing out to sign. So my guess is he will probably land on the practice squad. And in their mind, they probably feel like they protected an asset that's going to be here next year and beyond, whereas Newsom was a placeholder more or less in their mind. They didn't go into camp expecting him to make the roster. He basically made it because everyone around him got hurt Granted, he played really well in the preseason, but he didn't have a whole lot of competition. So I don't think it's a big deal. I think it was kind of inevitable. I feel bad for Newsom because he had a great camp and a great preseason, but I think this was always going to happen. So I think at the end of the day, as much as it sucks for Newsom, I think what you're looking at is the Chargers seeing themselves losing DeWan Hines to the Browns off their practice squad um, during over the weekend and thinking that they really wanted to make a move to protect Jackson. So that's what they did.
0: Yeah, I thought Justin Jackson would eventually get called up. I thought maybe as an RB4. But, uh, you know, cutting Newsom is probably a Chargers way of hoping they can snatch him on the practice squad, like you talked about, without losing their actual investment, which was a draft pick spent on Justin Jackson. So, you know, not really that big of a deal. I think they're interchangeable. Neither of them are really going to get that many snaps. Um, I don't think they're giving up on Newsom. I think eventually there'll be a plan to uh, maybe get Justin Jackson, Newsom, some snaps – next year and see where they're at but you know this year they don't really either of them don't really have a role so it's the Melvin Gordon Austin Eckler show right now so you know I understand it because Dietrich Newsom was a preseason darling and really earned that RB3 role during the preseason so he he earned that spot on the 53 but we're into the season Justin Jackson looks to be healthy because they promoted him Or you just assume that he's healthy because they promoted him. And, you know, you just hope that Newsom clears waivers like a lot of the other guys they cut in the offseason. And they'll just be able to keep him just on the practice squad.
1: Yeah, I think it's a pretty, you know, simple roster move to grasp once you get past the fandom of enjoying watching Newsom play. And you realize he wasn't playing that much to begin with. He wasn't likely to play moving forward. And they're just moving around the, you know, 50th, 51st, 52nd, 53rd spot on the roster just kind of moving pieces around um, trying to get the roster where they want it to be. And they always thought Jackson was going to win that spot anyway. So they just made it happen.
0: Okay. So we got one last question.
1: All right. And Preston Walker asks a question. He says, what's your biggest pleasant and unpleasant surprise so far?
0: So the most pleasant surprise has probably been uh, the play of Mike Williams and Uchenu Nwosu. Uh, Both of them surprised me. They're playing good this year, even though Nwosu kind of went quiet in week three. But um, you know, going back to what we saw in college, I didn't expect a ton from either of these guys. I know they were drafted high, but they're playing much better than expected. And the unpleasant surprise is the secondary. I think the corners are giving up wide-open looks through the first three weeks. I think Jalila Ladai really looks like he's regressed. Uh, the the mistackling has been a major issue for, th- for three weeks now. So um, I will say the secondary... Has been a little bit of a letdown so far?
1: Uh, I would say in terms of pleasant surprise, I'll go a different route. Uh, I would say Michael Schofield has played better than I expected him to. Not that he's necessarily been great, but he's exceeded my expectations, and he's kind of holding down that right guard spot for the time being. He's played pretty well. Uh, in terms of unpleasant surprise, I guess you could say a die. I, I don't really consider it it a surprise per se that he's struggling in the role they've got him in cuz i don't think he's a free safety i don't think he does well in space and covering a lot of ground but he was much better than expected last year and i just feel like he's slow to make reads he's taking bad angles he looks hesitant he looks uncomfortable unsure of himself and he just looks lost out there and teams are picking on him regularly so I would say the biggest pleasant surprise, kind of under the radar, is Schofield, and the biggest unpleasant surprise is Adai, just because it's night and day from where he was last year.
0: Okay, so let's go into our storylines, or headlines, from the loss this weekend to the LA Rams. Give me your first big takeaway from this game.
1: So, my first big takeaway, I really wanted to start with something positive here, but I just can't overlook this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't overlook this. And I think my first big takeaway is the way that the Rams coaching staff just rope doped the chargers coaching staff and just took advantage of them in every phase of the game. And there are examples of it throughout the game uh, from a defensive standpoint. You know, when you watch film, particularly all 22, you can see how Sean McVay was moving his pieces around in an effort to force the chargers to move their pieces around and, It's like he knew what the Chargers were going to run on every play before they even took the field. And he was getting the motion to move a Kaiser White out of position, or he had a jet sweep that took a die out of position and left one guy in the box at the second level. Uh, you know, sending two players into the same, the same deep and intermediate zone on a pass play to get the linebacker to suck in to cover the the short guy and throw over the top of him. You know, a little play action here, just little things that it seemed like the Chargers had something covered. They'd run a little window dressing, throw throw a different look at them. Somebody would take a false step, drift, get caught peeking, and it would be a 10, 15, 20-yard play and make it look easy. I mean, I was – I don't know about you, Garrett, but watching the game, every time you'd watch um, Todd Gurley run for 5, 7, 10 yards, it's like, where the – where the hell are the linebackers? Where are the linebackers on that play? And I I remember about midway through the third quarter thinking, I'm really curious to see what this looks like on film because they're nowhere to be found. And you can clearly see the Rams spreading them out, moving them around, making them chase motion, chase the jet sweeps, sucking them in with play action, um, looking them off. I mean, there were plays where Gurley was five yards downfield before a linebacker even reacted to it being a run play. It was ugly. So they, you know, on defense, they just moved them around like crazy. On offense, um, in terms of the Chargers' offense, that was the one area where the Chargers did a pretty good job of taking advantage of the Rams. I think they moved the ball better than I expected them to um, against that Rams defense. But they didn't really seem prepared for the interior pressure that that uh, Aaron Donald and Namda kang would provide. Both Both guards struggled at times. Uh, and Rivers just seemed like he was dodging bodies in the pocket left and right. And then on special teams, the biggest example is that block punt. Uh, I don't know if you heard it, Garrett, but there was a an interview with Corey Littleton on Football Night in San Diego last night where they asked him about that play, and he basically said he was laughing as he said. He was trying not to to lose it laughing, and he basically said, hey, man, are, are, we have the best special teams coach out there. He saw that, that flaw in their blocking scheme on film. He, we scheme for it. He put that specific play in for that specific situation, and when he does that, it works 100% of the time. So they picked that up on film, and they took advantage of it when they needed to, resulted in a touchdown, and the Chargers obviously haven't seen that when they watch film, assuming they're watching film, and they get taken advantage of. So just a bad showing by the Chargers coaching staff. No adjustments, uh, no understanding of what the Rams are doing to them, and just, just getting played from the opening bell Hello I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation and I want to tell you about my new show it
0: seems smart It seems smart as a show about people doing things that for some reason or another seemed smart at the time those things might include
1: doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain or I don't know maybe racing a hundred miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission or
0: even stealing a bat. From an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Yeah, so I'll get back to this coaching staff, but what I want to do, because this game was pretty ugly, I mean, I think we all assumed the outcome, but uh, it didn't go quite as we had hoped. It was it was kind of ugly at times. So what I'm going to do is a popular business practice where you do the compliment sandwich, right? You do something nice, <laughs> then you get down to the nitty-gritty, and then say something nice again. So let's start with the positive. And I know you want to start off positive. I'll start off positive. I, honestly, Mike Williams should be the wide receiver, too, going forward. Mike Williams had a career day against the Rams, was the most impressive wide receiver he led the team in catches, yards, and touchdowns. His 42-yard catch was a gorgeous throw by Rivers. To lay out and come down with that catch was unbelievable effort. Mike just ran by Marcus Peters and laid out for it. The second touchdown came on a fourth and two in the third quarter where he just basically found a soft spot in front of LaMarcus Joyner, got open, caught it, and then fought for the extra two yards because he caught it a two-yard line, fought for the extra two yards, got in for the second score. And I said it in week two, That contested catch in the back of the end zone in Buffalo was not a catch Tyrell Williams or Travis Benjamin makes. I mean, he had to be so strong at the catch point and come down with it with contact with two defenders bearing down on him. And against Kansas City, Travis Benjamin, Tyrell Williams looked so soft. They obviously had all those serious drops on easy catches. Neither looked good since. Benjamin can't even get on the field. And then you go back to week one, you know, Mike Williams got garbage time, but he was one of the few wide receivers who was still fighting for yards and still putting in maximum effort. So with Williams putting in that effort, you know, he's proven to be another weapon on the offense. And Not to mention, he's the Chargers' future wide receiver past this year. So when you're cycling wide receivers on and off, and I know different packages have different guys coming on and off, but when Travis Benjamin does return, it should be Tyrell Williams or Travis Benjamin being cycled off the field. At this point, no wide receiver, in my opinion, should be out snapping Mike Williams but Keenan Allen. It's time to up his role a little bit now.
1: That's fair. Um, certainly Willie, Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin haven't played particularly well. I, I think watching some of his routes on film and watching how he's getting open at times, I think everybody's overselling what he's doing a little bit sometimes, but he's had some nice catches. His touchdown catch was fantastic he, last week. He had a very physical third down conversion catch in the middle of the field last week. Uh, This week, I thought his best catch by far was the second touchdown pass um, in terms of the season. I know he made a highlight reel catch diving for the first one, but I really liked seeing him go out and snatch the ball with his hands on that second touchdown catch. He made a physical catch and fought his way into the end zone. I was really impressed with that. Uh, I think the routes are still a little iffy, but he is the most physical receiver on the roster. Uh, He is making big plays. We'll see if defenses adjust to him a little bit, but I, certainly he deserves more snaps because he's he's finding ways to make plays where other guys aren't
0: for sure. Okay, give me another one.
1: So my second uh, my second storyline is really that Rivers was impressive again. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time last year talking about how we thought the Chargers needed to draft a quarterback. We were very critical of Rivers, and at times he deserved it. Although towards the end of the season, we kind of came off that and admitted that he had been playing pretty well. This year, I think he's really been on point all season, and I thought this week in particular he was very good because, like I mentioned earlier, there were bodies everywhere in the pocket, particularly inside. There was really no pocket to step up into. There were several throws. He was throwing downfield, across the field, you know, kind of across his body, flat-footed with nowhere to step into them. Uh, he was anticipating pressure, sidestepping it, sliding, manipulating the pocket the way he always has throwing absolute dimes into tight coverage. He was incredible. I mean, he looked like peak Phillip Rivers. He looked very, very good, and he was the reason they stayed in that game. I I thought he was, I mean, he 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 ran the offense beautifully and made a lot of great throws.
0: Yeah, no, Rivers has looked great. He has. And, you know, last year it was a slow start, and you thought, oh, maybe because of old age, he was starting to get back into it and needed some time to warm up. But he's been hot out the gate. He's been really good through three weeks. So let's get to the the bad stuff. And, uh, you know, it's basically piggybacking off the coaching staff that you talked about with your first one. And, you know, basically this whole coaching staff from top to bottom has got to get better at in-game adjustments. And I think, you know, it's easy to criticize a coach after the game. But when you're watching it, there were some alarming mismanagements during the game. And if you're during the game, no, you know, thinking like, hey, listen, maybe Anthony Lynn shouldn't elect to kick a field goal on the eight-yard line to turn a two-score game into a two-score game. <laughs> that's something that's easy to point out. And also, you know, a lot of people are giving Anthony Lynn a pass that, you know, you know, you, I, I heard a lot of arguments that I'm not an NFL coach, and no, I've never been on the sideline. But Anthony Lynn gave the reins to the offensive coordinator, to Ken Wisenhunt, the defensive coordinator is Gus Bradley, and George Stewart is the special teams coordinator, all – Lynn's job is is in game adjustments and making calls there on the sideline. He has no coordinator duties at all, so that's his job. So you know, watching it live, I just assumed once you get to the eight yard line, that's four down territory. but he decided to kick it even with Sturgis missing an extra point earlier in the game and then asking you know your defense to make two stops to give the chargers an offense a chance when the Rams offense has just been driving all game long. It's just a silly decision there. And, you know, I think Lynn will take some heat, but I got some real issues with these coordinators. Gus Bradley not manufacturing any pressure on Jared Goff. The Rams' offensive line deserve credit, but Bradley didn't do enough to give their offensive line much competition up front. There were some good designs, but it didn't fool the Rams at all. They had Bradley's configurations mapped out. They're ready to foil the pass rush when it came. You know, the O-line game plan for this stuff, and Bradley did nothing to mix it up. When you give any quarterback... And even a quarterback like Goff, the time he had on Sunday, they will pick you apart. And he did to the tune of 521 yards of total offense. So Gus has got to do better. And the two things that are, you know, cause for some concern for the Chargers defense is Melvin Ingram is not the same player with Joey Bosa like we mentioned earlier. And Casey Hayward, Trevor Williams struggling a little bit. It's tough for three games, but, you know, you can't ask corners to cover as long as they had to on Sunday. I talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, even the best corners in the league can't be covering for eight, nine seconds. That's ridiculous. So Gus has got to do better. But Ken Wisenhunt, I think, has got to take the brunt of this because, you know, I know there was a lot of good things that happened on offense and they put up some points, but, you know, the Rams' best corners, Marcus Peters and Keep Talib went down halfway through that game, and Wiz didn't do much to test those corners. You know, the Rams' backup corner was Sam Shields. And he hasn't played football in three years. You know, I was doing, you know, looking at the Rams depth chart when I was prepping for that uh, other show I do. And, you know, it was like behind Tlaib and Peters, was like nobody. And Shields hasn't played, you know, played one game in 2016, didn't play any in 2017, didn't play in game one, played 11 snaps in week two in garbage time. And he's 30 years old. That seems like a guy you would test. <laughs> and Gus didn't really go after him. They just stuck with that same game plan, focused around Melvin Gordon and, When the game was on the line late, when they had a chance to get back into it, there was no urgency. They weren't trying to, you know, keep some clock and give them some time to score another touchdown because they were down two scores. They just have one speed, and that's that methodical drive down the field. There isn't any quick passing and hurry up to the line. That's concerning. And then, you know, like we talked about earlier with Gordon Eckler, I mean, Seems to me Eckler was has been the best running back on Sundays for three games. And I know Gordon may have had more touchdowns and some more yards at times, but Eckler is running so much better than Gordon right now. And that's not a slight against Gordon, but it just seems like when you have a hot hand, you ride with it. And I love Joey Bosa, but if he's not getting any pressure on the quarterback and Isaac Rochelle is, makes him more Rochelle. Just ride the guy that's helping you. Get pressure, or in this case, get some yards as a running back. And Gordon had almost four times the amount of carries than Eckler did. He had 80 yards on 15 carries. Eckler had 47 yards on four carries. He had more receiving yards. How long do you go, he's good, but he's still our backup, you know? When do you start getting close to 50-50? And then, you know, just speaking on Wiz and Gordon here, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds here because I've been going so long, but how about that after the Derwin James interception and they got the ball on the one-yard line and the first two plays are let's do two power runs right up into Aaron Donald, Nadamik, and Sue. Those aren't the plays, man. <laughs> that isn't the one you want to run there. That sequence was the worst at the worst time possible. I don't know. You talked about that fourth down where they it was third and ten. Third what was and it? ten. Third and ten, and they got a three-yard pass to Mike Williams and then a fourth and seven. They throw before the sticks again to Austin Eckler. I mean, are you telling me Wiz doesn't have a call for that? Doesn't have a seven yard play in the back of his pocket.
1: And that's with five minutes left in the game down 12.
0: And they're not going past the sticks. Yeah. I just don't, I don't understand that. And you know, George Stewart is as bad as it gets on special teams. He was downright abysmal last year. For you know, nothing's changed. Why they retained him, I still don't know. But I do. You know that because he's Anthony Lynn's boy. He's Anthony mentor. Lynn's
1: mentor. Yeah, that's why he's still around. That's why they made him the yeah. assistant head coach.
0: Through three games, you saw and you talked about um, you know John Fossil basically seeing a weakness in the Chargers' punting game. They overloaded the middle. They attacked it. Got a punt block for a touchdown. McVay's offensive line was ready for everything Gus Bradley threw at him. McVay and Andy Reid basically managed the game much better than Anthony Lynn has. It's all got to get better. Everybody's got to get better. And somehow they've got to fix this because they just can't beat good teams
1: yeah i I mean, you make a lot of good points, you know
0: I took the long road to get there, but I made some good points within there no i didn 't say the long road
1: uh, <laughs> pretty much all your points were good, so i have I have no problem with you taking some time there.
0: <laughs>
1: I spoke for a long time too, so i 'm good with it um and there's there's plenty to unpack there with the coaching staff so don't don 't be shy about taking time uh, <laughs> but anyway, um you know, I thought early in the game we might be in for a surprisingly aggressive game plan, you know they on their first touchdown pass to Mike Williams, the chargers have second and 12 from the mid from midfield. In a lot of situations, we've seen them throw a screen or run the ball. there, trying to, you know, maybe make room for a punt or shorten, shorten the third down throw. But on, in this case, they drop rivers back, throw it deep for a touchdown. And I'm thinking, all right, they're opening up the playbook. They're going to go after it. Then, Later in the game, or later on for their, I think it was for their second touchdown, they went for it on fourth down in the in the red zone and wind up scoring. And then for whatever reason, they get down there, they have a fourth fourth and goal from the what eight yard line, with twelve minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and they're kicking a field goal to make a, yeah. a fifteen point game, a twelve point game. I I don't understand that. I mean, you can't justify that to me. And I know Anthony Lynn said I went with my gut, and most of the time I will. That is not good news because that's him saying he doesn't think he made a mistake at a time when you're down two scores still and you have not had a defensive stop since the 10 minute mark of the second quarter and you're banking on two straight defensive stops to get you, but ba- to get yourself back in the game. That makes no sense at all. It does not compute, uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> the math just doesn't add up. Um, so you have got that you've got the the methodical you mentioned it the methodical pace of the offense you know they get the ball back um with I think it was 3 minutes to go in the third quarter they're they're down 28-14 I think at that point excuse me they're down 28-13 and they get the ball with thir- with 3 minutes left to go in the third quarter and they're running the ball like it's a three-point game and they're trying to shorten the game and kick a field goal to win the game I think they ran the ball like 5 out of 6 plays at that point Granted, they're gashing them on the ground with Gordon, but there's no interest in pushing the ball down the field and making plays in the passing game, getting Keenan Allen involved, spreading them out, like you mentioned, with their two corners on the sideline. They're just running the ball. And it seemed to me McVay and uh, and Wade Phillips are basically saying, hey, you want to run the ball? Have at it. Like Run the ball all you want. As long as you're not throwing against our corners, our backup corners, great. Have at it, and they were con- they were content to let them run down the field. They're taking this, they're taking the play clock down inside of ten seconds almost every play. There's no sense of urgency. There's no concept of how little time is left, and they wind up taking at that point six minutes off the clock to score a field goal. And they don't go for it on fourth down. It it just doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. So. You know, I thought they had some really nice run designs, though. You know, they, they did a good job of letting Sue and Donald work their way up the field and running around them and getting outside of them. So they did some good things, but a lot of the play calling left a lot to be desired. The lack of pace, the lack of ga- of managing the game. And then at the end of the fourth quarter, before they got the ball back for the last time, they had a a, a third and long where they stopped the, they stopped the Rams and they were going to get the rams were going to punt the ball from about the 32 yard line and the chargers accepted a holding penalty to push them back and it wound up saving them i think it got them an extra 12 yards of field position but it cost them almost 2 minutes on the game clock because they just let the clock bleed they didn't call a timeout and they just let the rams take their sweet time running their third down play again and then running their pun- and then punting the ball so just just no no clue how to manage the clock at all and that's frustrating
0: all right. So give me your uh, last storyline here.
1: So I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but my last storyline is I, I, I thought the linebackers were terrible. So my third storyline is that the linebackers were disappointing again. Uh, they were getting pulled in and out of position consist- consistently, they were taking bad angles. I mentioned it. There were a lot of running plays where they were watching G- Gurley get five, six yards downfield before they even started to react. They were missing tackles. There were a lot of blown coverages in the middle of the field <clears throat> because they were losing track of receivers. I thought the I thought this was probably the worst game the linebackers played because they were basically invisible and they they were rendered basically useless because they they were not they were not reading the offense very well. They were not reacting very quickly and they were getting stuck in the mud and just getting picked off at the second level by by offensive linemen with ease. So they need to figure out how to get those linebackers going because they were not coming downhill. They were, if they were coming downhill at all, they were creeping and they were getting caught by second level blockers left and right. It was not a pretty day.
0: Yeah. Linebackers were not good. Disappointing because Kaiser had, Kaiser White had such a good game in week two, but We'll see going forward. But, yeah, they none of them were very good, and, man, they really spread those guys out, too. They did. They made them run and cover a lot. Uh, my last one, is, you know, back to a positive one, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the game, but, you know, even though how bad the Chargers lost week one, week three, their schedule set them up for a potential run here. Mike Clay says the Chargers has the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. And, you know, a lot of those tough matchups that we were talking about when we previewed the season – A lot of those teams don't look as dangerous as they were. 49ers won't have Garoppolo. Tennessee's struggling. Seattle doesn't look very good. Pittsburgh just took care of the Buccaneers, but they tied earlier this year. So there's been some teams that we thought might be a little tough, aren't looking so great early on. You know, obviously the Chargers have to win those games. So just having an easy schedule doesn't mean much unless you win them. And if you don't, it could sting, especially if you get beat by a 49ers team without Garoppolo this weekend. But... You know, after the Chargers' four-game winning streak last year, they finished 9-3, and almost made the playoffs. And they're looking at a scenario close to that because the, the schedule is so soft and they could possibly be 2-2 two and two instead of 0-4 in the first quarter of the season. The issue is, last year, you know, they lost to good teams. They didn't beat any good teams. They lost to the Pats, Jaguars, and Chiefs towards the end of the year. All of them made the playoffs. And they basically just beat up on the top ten draft pick teams that year so the two losses feel like we're all living in this nightmare but you know they're they are set up to make a run here at the end of the year if they can handle their business and hey maybe they actually beat a quality opponent i know it's not college football but it'd be nice to beat a a good team under the lynn tenure
1: it sure would be nice to beat a good team it feels like it's been ages since they've done that to be honest even even under mccoy um yeah, I mean, they, it seems like the schedule is favorable, but you kind of have to assume they're going to be average or better to to make a run. And right now, I don't really think they're all that average. The offense is playing at a pretty high level, definitely, because of Rivers, and they're running the ball well. You know, I thought they ran the ball much better than I expected them to against the Rams yesterday. They gashed them repeatedly, and I didn't think they'd do that. So there is reason to be optimistic with the offense. I just have real concerns about this defensive scheme, the inability or lack of lack of interest in making any kind of adjustments at all. They finally got a manual off the field, which is a bonus, but they're still yeah. running that garbage zone in the middle of the field and getting picked apart left and right with no pressure. So uh they, they have to figure out how to get pressure on the quarterback. They have to let their corners play. Um, and they need to stop asking their linebackers to cover 15, 20 yards downfield against wide receivers. It's just not working, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if they can get some of those things cleaned up, uh, they, it seems like they've got some favorable matchups. And I mean, you know, we, you picked them to win 10 games. I picked them to win 11. We both had them losing this game. Mm-hmm. So, from a perspective standpoint, we got what we expected. I don't think we liked how they got there. We didn't like how it looked. We thought maybe it'd be a little closer. They might look a little better. Uh, but they did what we thought they would do.
0: You know, that actually, and they lost. oh, sorry. That actually brings me a, a, a point I, I, I just hate. And it's, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people are taking a lot of optimism out of this and saying, "Hey, they were close. They're close against Kansas City. They were close here. They should have won those games." And the Chargers are 1 and 2 because they lost two games, not because they almost won three games.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't like that mentality either.
0: <laughs> it's that overwhelming sense of flawed optimism surrounding those two losses. <laughs> flawed like, optimism. whatever whatever gets you through the day is fine, but they got beat by two better teams. The Chiefs and Rams are the two best teams in the NFL right now. You know, you can pin it on, you know, dropped uh, passes in game one or a missed extra point or a missed field goal or whatever it is, but the Chiefs and Rams didn't play a perfect game. It's not like they all played perfect and the Chargers just, you know, weren't the better team that day. You know, Brandon Mebane stripped Todd Gurley while they were driving. They could Chargers didn't get any points out of it. Jared Goff gets picked off in the end zone while they're in the red zone nothing the rams kicker sam ficken misses a field goal they had problems too but good teams capitalize on that and they made they capitalize on other teams mistakes and that's what the rams and chiefs did you know they were out coached and they made more plays than the chargers and that's because they're better teams i mean I, chargers obviously can improve that's possible but you know they weren't ever out of it like buffalo was in game two but let's just call it what it is chargers lost to two better teams that just happens sometimes
1: Yeah, they did lose to two better teams. You know, I've I've heard people saying they weren't out of it until the end. They were in both games. I mean, watching that game, even when it was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter, did you ever really feel like they were going to come back and win that game? Did you feel like they were in it or that they were just hanging around?
0: I always felt that the Rams were going to pull away late. I always felt that way. Yeah,
1: So, and I agree. I don't really think they were ever in that game. And to be honest, when you're down, what was it? 18 with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs. You're not in that game either. They may have made it look a little closer because the Chiefs started playing off and letting them move the ball. But when well, it almost drop
0: passes, Jamie. No, Travis Benjamin no, dropped stop the it. touchdown. Ty stop Tyrell it. Williams dropped. <laughs> stop it,
1: stop it. Okay, just don't don't sell me that crap here. All right, no. They didn't beat themselves. They got beat by two of the best teams in the NFL. So stop trying to convince yourself that they beat themselves. Granted, they made mistakes. Yes, they made mistakes. They did not play a perfect game by far in either of their two losses. And you know what? They didn't play a perfect game in their win. That score did not reflect how that defense played against the Bills. So this team has yet to really put together a full game. They have yet to really put together a mistake-free game. And the coaching has not improved from week one. They were just able to mask it a little bit against the Bills. So I don't buy into the argument that they beat themselves or that they were in the Chiefs game or that they were in the Rams game. That's all raw, rust stuff. You can take that to other podcasts. That stuff doesn't play here.
0: <laughs> but they got an easy schedule going forward
1: sure let's see how Give that pans out that. i'm sh- i'm sure i'm sure they're going to take advantage of their easy schedule because there are some bad teams on that schedule and that's why we both had them winning at least 10 games
0: yeah so we will see and that does it for us i am at gary sisti on twitter jamie
1: at lightning underscore round
0: hey we'll see you next time guys
1: thanks everybody